0: Hello everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Product-Led Podcast. Today we have Mona Akma, CEO and co-founder of Falcon AI. Whoa. So Mona, how are you?
1: I'm great. Nice to be here, Pierce.
0: I'm so happy to have you. And so while we were setting up this podcast recording, you mentioned that You'd like to like focus on value matrices. Mm -hmm. What made you like pick it?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, our background as a team uh, Mm -hmm. at Falcon, we are all ex-Dropbox people. We've worked in consumer and business B2B companies and have been doing product-led growth, honestly, before there was a term for it Mm -hmm. and uh, one of the sort of underpinnings of product-led growth is this concept of value metrics which is generally not well understood and so Mm -hmm. we wanted to make value metrics the center of how product-led growth is done Um, Mm -hmm. and you know simply put what is a value metric the simplest definition is it is a quantifiable measure of the value your product is providing to its users And, you know, the essence of product-led growth is if your users are getting value out of your product, they will use it more and eventually they will want to pay you money for it. So being able to capture quantifiably what the value of your product is to your users is essentially what value metrics are and it's the essence of product-led growth and that's why we focus on it.
0: All right. I love how you circled back to the entire thing. It makes it super, super clear. Yeah, value metrics, can't really stress enough how important that is. So from where I'm standing, making it quantifiable, kind of hard to do. But while we were setting this up, I believe you mentioned that you had a system to find out. Well, not necessarily conclusively, but define it clearly, what a value metric would be depending on what the business is. Because everything considered, you're a veteran and you've been yeah, around the block. So just so we know what we could do, could you tell us more what we should not do? Like what mistakes do you typically see other businesses make when they're defining their value metrics
1: yeah, that's a great question. So, you know, first, I do want to preface this. We are all very early on our uh, journey for product-led growth and mistakes are inevitable. They're a part of getting good at this motion, right? <laughs> Having said that, if I were to summarize the last 15 years of experience and the most common mistakes I see, I would say there are three mistakes. Mistake number one is thinking that measuring the usage of a product feature is a value metric. This is a critical mistake. So, you know, I'm a former product manager and I measured my success as a product manager by how much my features were being used by our users. And that's an important metric. However, it's not necessarily always a value metric. So I'll give you a couple of examples, right? So um, at Dropbox. Dropbox is a file storage and sharing service. At Mm -hmm. Dropbox, if I was the PM for file uploads, I may think that the right value metric is the number of files that people are creating in Dropbox. That's not a value metric. Here's why. Because the value of Dropbox to its customers is not the ability to create a document in Dropbox or to create a file, but rather in the sharing of these documents with other people and the syncing of these documents across multiple devices so you can access the same document from anywhere, right? Make and sense. so. The value metric in that case ends up being not the act of creating a document, but rather the act of syncing a document across devices or the act of sharing and collaborating on a document. Does that make sense?
0: Yes, it absolutely does. And you just blew my mind because at first, when you were like starting to answer my question there, Mm -hmm. I was thinking, wait, isn't that counterintuitive? that user usage time would be like, that's a good basis of what your value metric would be. Then again, after you defined it, it reminded me, I I forgot who coined the term, but people don't buy drills. They buy it to like, uh, make that hole in the wall. So that makes absolute sense. It's beautiful.
1: Awesome and i want to share a couple more mistakes that i see um go for so, you know, it. so thinking about the value so another example just to make sure that the point lands is you know when someone let's say you were a product manager uh, that owned google search mm-hmm. the wrong metric would be to say number of searches equals value to the customer no one goes to google to do a search what people go to do is to find a result and Mm -hmm. they're looking for the content, right? And so that's another example of a feature metric versus a value metric. The second common Mm. mistake I see is using cross-population averages as a metric. So again, I think it helps with uh, an example. So for instance, let's say a lot of times value metrics are used to identify atypical behaviors of certain customer populations. So if I were, let's say, a product manager at Spotify, okay? And I wanted to identify Spotify free users who are ready to convert and pay us money so that they don't get ads. Mm -hmm. I could model a metric, which is the average minutes per day that a user listens to music per day per week. And... If I model the metric that way, a user that listens to music for 10 minutes every day Mm -hmm. would show up as exactly the same as a user that listens to music for 60 minutes or 70 minutes, but in one go. Now, intuitively, because Spotify Premium is all about removing ads, the user that is listening to Spotify 70 minutes contiguously is much more likely to want to pay money to not get ads compared to a user that's listening to Spotify 10 minutes every day for the entire week, right? But if we built this as an average, what you end up losing sight of is these two users will look exactly the same. So averages can really hide unique and special behaviors of customers that are outstanding users of a service and we they get lost in the noise. Uh, does that make sense?
0: Yes, it does. I'm bad at math, but thank you for <laughs> putting it a lot more clearly than I could have. Good. So actually, I was going to prepare this next question. My upcoming question was, other businesses typically approach value metrics as something that they define based on what they see on user research. So, mm-hmm. okay, uh, now know what your thoughts about it are. So you actually define, if I understood you correctly, you actually define your value metrics before you even start your user research mm-hmm. so that you know which ones you're actually going to look out
1: for. Yeah, I would say the process I would follow, to me, there are three key parts of Figuring out what the value of your product is to your end users. First and foremost, it starts with, as humans, we are the best intuition and hypothesis engines on the planet, right? So it starts with a hypothesis and an intuition about what we believe our products value to our users is. And we write that list down, um, those hypotheses down. The second step is you validate those hypotheses with data analysis. Data is very good at helping you validate whether the hypothesis actually is true or not. For instance, one of our customers is a large recruiting platform. They had a hypothesis that the value of their product to their users was that if you're looking for diverse candidates, you can use their platform to do it we did analysis and actually showed there was no statistical significance between people using the diversity search experience and paying our customer money. So clearly, it was a hypothesis that was invalidated. And then I would say the role to me of user research is helping us understand the why. Data analysis will never help you understand why someone is doing what they're doing. And that is ultimately where value lives, right? And so, you know, as an example, if within my company's product, we see data telling us that people create a lot of segments, but we have to do research, user research, to ask people questions about why they are creating segments. What about this is exciting or interesting to them. And so that's really where user research can take us a lot deeper. In my mind, this is not one versus the other. It's this three-step process.
0: Oh. So you use all of them, but you have to use all of them, right? Yes. Nice. So how can we like define what the correct value metrics or value metrics is would be for a particular business. You said you had like a five-question system for this. Could you take us through that, please?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, We do this with our customers a lot, and it's a super fun exercise, actually. So the first question we ask three to four times, actually. So the five questions, the first Mm -hmm. question is asked three times. So the first question is we ask our customers, why do people use your product? So as an example, if mm-hmm. I ask a product manager at Dropbox, why do people use Dropbox? The first answer I will get will look something like this, to store files, to store documents and pictures. Great. My next question is, and why do people store files in Dropbox?
0: I ran out right? of hard drive space.
1: <laughs> Great, exactly. So it is. I want to keep my documents safe. I don't. I have run out of local storage, right? Mm-hmm. Because if you run out of local storage on your phone, you could always delete those pictures, but you don't want to delete those pictures. So then mm-hmm. the next question is, why do they not want to delete those pictures?
0: If they're because... grocery receipts. I'm <laughs> just kidding.
1: <laughs> Because it's precious memories, right? It's something that's worth saving. It's special, right? Mm -hmm. So the value of Dropbox backing up your phone ends up being, it's augmenting human memory. It's capturing these precious moments that we don't want to forget, right? And so... Um, My heart. (laughs) (laughs) Or a grocery list.
0: Or a grocery list. Yes.
1: But in general, we ask this question two to three times to really get to the value instead of getting to the features. And then the next question that we ask is a multiple choice question, which is, does this capability or does this product help your users make money, save money, save time and hassle, Mm -hmm. give them joy? And you can pick multiple answers here. Mm -hmm. For each answer that you select from this list, we want you to describe in precise detail how said product and capability is helping save time. For instance, if somebody said, hey, Dropbox is useful to end users because they can share and collaborate on documents with other people. Great. And why is that valuable? Because it saves them time and hassle. Great. Now explain, if Dropbox didn't exist, what would be the ways in which they would share and collaborate that would either be very time-consuming or have a lot of hassle associated with them? That's really where you start Mm -hmm. to get to value. Does that make sense?
0: Yes, it does. And to think about it, USB flash drives would be more booming than they already are right now. But mm-hmm. <laughs> you can't exactly, you can't really always have to mail mm-hmm. your USB flash drive just to send a picture yes, or just to send a photo. Right. Okay, nice. So that makes like three questions. I love how you structured the features against what the user experience is. Yes. Because... In the user's mind, it is their experience that indicates the value. Now, I know we're still in the middle of it. I'm excited
1: to
2: see how we could quantify that.
1: Yes, got it.
2: Today's episode is brought to you by ProductLed.com. As the founder of the business, it is our mission at ProductLed to help you build a world-class product-led business. That is honestly what gets me excited. I want to help you. And that's one of the reasons why we are so committed to providing you a ton of free resources like this podcast to arm you with all the tools, strategies, and tactics you need to build and grow a successful product-led business. But sometimes just listening to podcasts, reading articles, and talking to colleagues about product-led growth doesn't quite cut it. It feels like you're just learning a bunch of random tactics that don't quite add up to a holistic strategy. Now, if you can relate, I'd highly recommend checking out our upcoming product-led growth program. In this program, we will actually help you master product-led growth, understand the holistic strategy behind it, and ultimately help you create a product experience that leaves your users wanting to come back for more, and we will give you all the tools, templates, and feedback you need to make it happen. So if that's interesting to you, you can learn more and register at productled.com. And now let's get back to the episode.
1: So for instance, I'll give you another example. I'll continue with the example in Dropbox, right? That if we said that the value ultimately is saving people time and hassle when they are sharing and collaborating, then A quantifiable way to measure these two aspects that we've talked are one, how many people are actually sharing and collaborating and how many people are they sharing and collaborating with on a usual basis? That starts to really help us define the value of Dropbox, right? Another thing that we start to look at is, What is the amount of time and the number of clicks it is taking for a person to share with another person? Because if our hypothesis is that it's about saving time and hassle, but we make the uh, experience really, really cumbersome and annoying where people have to sign up, they have to log in. Oh, shit, we've forgotten our password. Now I can't Mm -hmm. see the picture, blah, blah, blah then we have actually not delivered on the promise of Dropbox to our users, right? And so measuring number of clicks to successfully share and number of clicks to consume something that was shared with you, Mm -hmm. those start to become the value metrics that we really care about.
0: I absolutely love how we're getting to the juicy product-led stuff. And it actually has been all over the questions since the start. Okay, really nice. Now I see where it comes from on, again, the user experience and how you can actually fine tune what you're doing without having to have too many asks. Cause you still have to ask for your like, for their like email and other security stuff for, so you, they have their own like bucket, if you may. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. They have their own box. Oh. Dropbox. Now, yeah, we measure it by the number of shares, the number of people that it is impacting. Now, when it comes to product like growth, now for the growth part, how can we like go make money out of this?
1: Yes, what a great question. So, this actually then comes to me the most important thing about value metrics is you have to operationalize them because if you don't operationalize them, then who cares, right? Mm-hmm. So, my friends, you know, team members at Falcon tell me about how at Dropbox it took them three years to convince their business team that their pricing should actually be aligned with their value metrics because it wasn't. For the longest time, Dropbox pricing was purely connected to storage, which has nothing to do with the the value that the product is giving to its users. Mm -hmm. And it's only when they started to add pricing gates around things like how many devices are you syncing data across? And Mm. how many shares are you making and attaching pricing to those things? Because those are the things that are unlocking value, right? Mm The closer your pricing is attached to the things, the actions that drive value for users, the more willing they are to pay you money for your product or service. So to answer your question, how do we turn that into money? You put gates in place where you can only do up to X actions. You can only do up to X shares or sync only across five devices for a certain skew, and then you have to pay to do more shares and to do more syncs across more devices. So that's one way of operationalizing.
0: I'm sure there are other ways of making money out of it. Mm-hmm. At the same time, if I may be radically candid here, wouldn't that like put friction on... I mean, I get that you're already delivering by the value based on the user experience or the experience that the user is already having since Mm -hmm. they started using the product, even at the pre-stage or the premium stage. And it's up to them to decide whether they're going to give you money or not. Totally. But how can we like present it in a way that would make sense to them? Yes. Like instead of causing friction, We're actually doing them a favor Totally. if they pay us.
1: Yeah, totally. So I think that, you know, that's a great point. Uh, To me, at the end of the day, Mm -hmm. consumers are very happy to pay you money if the ROI in their heads is worthwhile, right? If the return on investment is there, if I'm going to pay you $5 and my perception is that the value I am getting is greater than $5 it will not seem like friction to pay you money. For instance, I am a Spotify premium user because I don't listen to Spotify for five minutes every day. But when I do listen to Spotify, I listen for 75 minutes in a chunk, which is why I don't want to listen to ads. And I am happily willing to pay $11 a month for that convenience, right? So I think that... To me, asking people for money by itself does not mean friction. It's really when you ask people for money for things they don't like, things they don't care for, and in a way that's not transparent, it's opaque and it feels untrustworthy, that's really where the friction comes in, right? Mm-hmm. So I would say this is where you know usage-based pricing uh, goes hand-in-hand with product-led growth. If you are transparent with your users about what a free subscription includes and how their usage is going to increase the amount of value they're getting and the price they're paying, you end up with a really transparent system where the user feels like they're in control. So if some months I don't want to pay a company $50, I feel empowered to change my own behavior to not pay that money. Does that make sense?
0: Yes, it absolutely does. And it is beautiful. So to summarize those five questions, Mm -hmm. so we have, why do people use our product? We have, why do they want to do a particular action, reason for the action? Another like version three of the same question, why do they have that reason? And Number four, how can people make money by paying us? And how can people find it convenient? That's why they pay us. Okay, I'm 100% sure we could go through the entire day just talking about this. But I'm trying to save time in your day as well with the other listeners here. So what are two key takeaways that you'd like our listeners to get from this particular Parada Led podcast episode?
1: Got it. So I'm not a great rule follower, so I'll give you three and <laughs> I'll make it the best. So number one is accuracy and rigor in defining value metrics is key to all aspects of the business, ranging from pricing to product planning to which bugs you choose to fix to how you do marketing and sales outreach. So take the time and put in the effort to get your value metrics right. Don't rush that part. Slow down to speed up, right? Mm -hmm. Second is your intuition plus data analysis plus unbiased user research. All of them have to play together in harmony to help you really understand your value metrics. And third is Coming up with phenomenal value metrics and then throwing them in a lockbox does not result in product-led growth. You have to operationalize these value metrics to really see the benefits. And when I say operationalize, I mean hyper-personalized outreach to users, Mm -hmm. which can only be done programmatically. It cannot be done manually. Ongoing refinements to your product strategy, as well as your pricing strategy, so because, you know, especially in fast growing companies, the value of the product shifts over time because the features and capabilities we're launching also shifts over time. So keeping this an alive process instead of a one and done process would be my third key takeaway.
0: Nice. Uh, or there could be inflation. No, nah, I'm just yes, kidding. Absolutely. But it, you know I'm right. Yes. I love that you know something is wrong if your intuition, data analysis, and user research don't play harmoniously, you're going to have to redefine what your value metric is. It's like running a ship. You can't run a ship without a proper compass. And then your crew would be your how you operationalize yes. everything. Yes. Okay. Absolutely beautiful. So, Mona, how can people best reach you? Should they want to collaborate or would like to get more of your insight?
1: Yeah, it's simply either look me up on LinkedIn, Mona Akma, or uh, send me a note, Mona at falcon.ai, and it's falcon with a K. The C was too expensive. So <laughs> send me an email. I'm usually pretty responsive.
0: Thank you very much, Mona. And thank you everyone for tuning in to another episode of the Product Led Podcast. We have open registration for the next upcoming cohort and see
2: you on the next episode thank you for listening to the product-led podcast if you found this episode helpful please share it with a colleague or friends you know who might benefit. We are always looking at which episodes get the most listens, so we know which content to create more of. So if you want more of this particular type of content or style of episode, please share it out. And in return, here's your selfish reason to do this. Uh, We will definitely create more content just like this episode. And if that's not your style, please leave us a review wherever you listen to podcasts and tell us your favorite part about this podcast. I personally read every single one of these reviews and it gives me more ideas on what content we should do more of. Happy growing.